This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. I got a special product for my cannabis love in kings and queens. If you love a good pre-roll, a joint, you have that fresh cannabis, we want to make sure it's staying fresh. And so I'm thankful to have Integra Specialty Products here at the Low Life Podcast. Brings you plant-based solutions for top-tier cannabis storage and packaging with two-day humidity control packs. Ensure the freshness, potency, and quality of your cannabis with Boost plant-based solutions that only puts in pure water vapor into your dried-out buds. Ideal for flour, pre-roll, edibles, they offer harmonious balance of convenience and freshness. For more information, check them out at www.integraboost.com or at Integra Herbal on Instagram. Use code LOWLIFE at checkout for 15% off your next online purchase at www.integraboost.com. Hola, bienvenidos, buongiorno. Welcome to an all-new episode of the Low Life Podcast. I'm your flaming hot and spicy side of ranch up on that plate. Throw some pickle spears on there too. Clausen preferred. Sprinkle them with a little tahine. And there I am in food form. Served up to you, your host, Lo Von Rumpf. <laughs> so happy to be here with you today. Oh, no place I'd rather be. This is my safe place. It's good to be with my low lifers. I hope you're having a beautiful week so far. And if you're not, don't you worry, boo-boo. Don't you fret. We have a great show in store for you today. We're about to turn that frown upside down. All right, but before we get into today's very special episode, uh, let's talk about mental health. Nobody asked, but mental health-wise, on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, 1 being, let's say it's the Titanic, bottom deck of the Titanic. Yeah, that. That feels about right. And then a 10 will be the top deck. Yeah, first class of the Titanic. And on that scale, I'm looking at a solid 9.5 this week. Yeah, 9.5. You heard me right. That is an all-time personal high for me. I haven't felt like a 9.5 in quite some time. I think it's been a little over a year. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm feeling really good right now, mental health-wise. And It could probably dip next week. Who knows? But I'm just going to ride it to the wheels fall off and feel really good right now. There are a few contributing factors to my mental health score this week. One of those factors being lemon water. Yep. Do you drink lemon water in the morning? Have you tried it? Is that something you do or you've heard of? I'm getting newly familiarized with it through a couple clients who love it. And they were like, Lo, you should try drinking lemon water in the morning. It's so good for you. And I'm like, sure, okay. But I didn't, you know, really listen to that. Uh, but then I, I was talking to my doctor and he, he was like, you should drink lemon water. And then he went over the benefits. And I was like, oh, shit, that hits different. I'm listening. And yeah, there are so many benefits to drinking just a cup of warm water and throw half a lemon in there and drink it, preferably before you brush your teeth. Uh, if you drink it after, you know, right after you brush your teeth, like most things, it's going to taste like battery acid. But um, if you start off your morning before you eat or drink anything, before your coffee, before anything, just have yourself a nice glass of lemon water. And I've been doing that. And uh, it's definitely a game changer. It's good for your kidneys. It's good for your metabolism, for your skin, your digestive tract. Like there's so many benefits, like over 30 benefits to it. Uh, if you if you're curious, just Google lemon water health benefits, you know, and boom, you'll be hit with all the 
different pros to drinking it. But I've been doing that and I've definitely noticed a difference, difference in my skin, in my sleep, um, in my digestive, you know, situation. Sometimes I'm feeling a little constipated. I'm not feeling that way these days. Thanks, Lemon Water. Sponsored moment. Anyway, that's helped. Another thing that's really helped me uh, is not being on social media. That's actually been one of the biggest factors that's tremendously affected my mental health. Taking a break, you guys know that I've been on a social media hiatus right now. And I said a couple episodes back that I'm I'm coming back to Instagram. And then I didn't. <laughs> and then I just decided to go a little bit longer. I already made it to day 40. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to try and do 50 days of no social media. And it has helped me so much. I freed up a lot of mental space. There are things I love about social media. Don't get me wrong. Like I love a funny meme. I love posting funny shit. And also, you know, like the good news movement, that's one account that I'm obsessed with, but it's like really inspiring stories. So there are some really great things to social media, um, but I didn't realize how consuming it can be, how much I frequently was checking my phone. And I also think that there's something to having a 24 hour feed constantly being in front of you constant updates about what's happening in other people's lives and the news and the world news. And, and all of that was just being circulated through my brain throughout the day. And I was checking Instagram when I woke up in the morning and I'd subconsciously without even realizing it, be checking my phone all the time. And I'm like, I need to stop doing that. It took me about two weeks of not being on Instagram to break that habit. I actually just deleted the app from my phone, which doesn't delete your account. It just deletes the actual app so you can't access it. Anyway, it's it's really helped me, but I'm actually excited to come back now. Now I'm coming back to Instagram. If you're listening to this and it's Thursday, I'm back now. Hey, Queens, I'm back. And I'm, I'm definitely setting up boundaries, though, for myself. Like, I will only be on Instagram, you know, for this amount of time, you know, between 1 and 2 p.m. is like my free time or whatever that I could check social media. I also love being able to keep in touch with people, some friends, family, and, and lowlifers. You guys message me on there. By the way, if you've messaged me on Instagram, I want to get to all my DMs. I updated my app, you know, a while ago, and all my DMs were freaking deleted which freaked me out. Um, and now I've been on a social media break. So again, if I haven't responded to you, don't think I'm ignoring you uh, or I blocked you or something. Uh, just resend me the message. Even if you've already resent it, resend it again so I could see it. Um, it will go to the top and then I could respond to you. Um, but I'll be working on that this week. And, uh, and yeah, I'm making my a big return to social media. If you've never taken a break off the gram, you know, or TikTok and all that shit. It, it's nice to do once in a while. You know, just try 24 hours, just a little appetizer, try it out, see how you feel. And I promise you this much, you will feel better. You'll feel better about yourself. It definitely helps. You know, it takes a little bit to break the habit of always checking your phone, um, but taking a break, you know, just freed up so much mental space for me. I've, I've worked on, on my physical health, my mental health. I've been spending time with my family and my friends. And uh, it's been really nice. You know, I struggle with putting myself first at times. And it's something that I've really tried to put at the forefront. And taking a much needed break off social media, you know, definitely was a game changer. But speaking of game changers, 
Let's get into today's very special episode. All right, this guest, I'm so excited to have this guest on. I've been wanting her to come on for a while. So if you're listening to this podcast right now and you are someone who is a small business owner, uh, an entrepreneur, or you're someone who's always wanted to start a business or you have a great idea and you've thought about it and you're like, oh, that would be such a cool business. You know, this is going to be a great episode for you. If you're someone who's working a nine to five job right now, or you're in a corporate type of environment and you're like, I want to be, you know, self-employed, this is also a great episode for you to listen to because today I have guest Allie Webb on the podcast and you might not be familiar with the name Allie Webb, but I guarantee you're probably familiar with her business or you've at least heard of it or maybe even tried it. She's the founder and creator of Drybar and she started this business about 12 years ago, and she was a stay-at-home mom, and she decided to take a chance on herself. She had a great idea, and it was a very small business idea, and now it's become this huge multi-million dollar. She's worth over $100 million. There's over 167 locations in the United States. She employs hundreds of people, and it's very successful. Um, But she started from just an idea and just being fearless, wanting to be driven, And and putting herself out there, she surrounded herself with people she could trust, people that brought a lot to the table. And this great business came out of it. That's still running today. Now she has other companies that she's invested her time in and she's working with. One of those companies being Canopy, which is uh, air humidifiers. You know, they help you breathe better, you sleep better. So that's one project she's working on right now, a company she's, you know, heavily invested in. Uh, But she's had several other companies, a product line for Drybar. I mean, she's just doing so many great things and she's definitely paying it forward. And one thing that's great that I love that Ali Webb is willing to do is not only being vulnerable, but sharing her story. And it's an inspiring one. And for someone like me, who, you know, I grew up with two entrepreneurs, small business owners are near and dear to my heart. You know, I'm a small business owner myself. And so if I have an opportunity you know, to talk to someone, you know, especially on this podcast and talk about, you know, the the ups, the downs, the trials and tribulations of starting your own business, because it is, it's tough out there. So if, you know, I have an opportunity to talk to someone like this and she could share some wisdom and, and kind of talk about her experience. Now I'm about to take that opportunity. So this is going to be a great episode. There's a lot of little golden nuggets of wisdom sprinkled throughout it. She talks about how she was understaffed at one point. She was underprepared, talks about, you know, naysayers, people that were like, yeah, this business isn't going to work for you. And, and basically how she did it on her own, learned some definite life lessons along the way. She shares the greatest gift that she's received from this business, the greatest lessons she's learned from this business, how she balanced being a parent, mom life, you know, that's a full-time job in itself. You know, she went into this business, started it in her uh, mid-20s, and she was married, mother of two, with two toddlers, you know, and that's already a full-time job in itself, being a mama. You know, so again, throwing herself into business and that balancing act and how she did it and and who she relied on and, and the struggles of even doing something like that. She talks openly about it in this episode. It was also nice to hear about, you know, success in business is always great. We always want to hear a good success story. But also I talked to her about, you know, the pitfalls, you know, the missteps that she might have taken. And she said something really interesting. She talked about redefining what success is for you. Some people, of course, that's the financial figures. You're making that money, that money, that's success to you. But it doesn't have to be that. Uh, and so she talks about that and, and what that means to her. 
She also talks about when a small business can become profitable. I was actually surprised by her answer. I didn't expect her business to become profitable when it did. It was a little bit later in the game when she actually started taking a salary. There are so many little nuggets of wisdom sprinkled throughout this episode. It's a great conversation that I've been wanting to have with her for a while. It's my first time getting to talk to her. Um, I'm just bummed that we're still in this freaking pandemic. Ugh. Reason being, I would have loved to have this conversation with her in person, face to face, you know, over a glass of wine, uh, but we had to do it over Zoom. So that being said, the perfectionist side in me is bummed because the sound quality on her end is a bit shit. Little snap, crackle, pop moments. The Wi-Fi was going in and out. And and that's just, again, welcome to the pandemic podcasting, you know, when we still have a pandemic. And so we didn't get to meet in person, even though she does live in Los Angeles, but the episode's great. So the content is there, but there's little parts in it where I'm like, oh, the sound, like, oof. But again, that's just me being like, I want it all to be perfect for my low lifers. <laughs> so without further ado, let's jump into today's very special episode with business owner, entrepreneur, the dry bar queen herself. We're talking to Allie Webb. Hit it. I just want to welcome you to the Low Life Podcast, Queen Ali Webb. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so happy to have you here. So good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes. Okay. So, Ali, the thing is, I've been a fan of Dry Bar and you as a woman in general um, since like, what, 2011? I think that's when I went to a first Dry Bar with one of my clients. Uh, I'm a stylist full time and I do podcasting too, but. Uh, I remember my client telling me this was in in Brentwood and she's like, there's this spot and and they can blow out my hair. And it's what a great concept. And so we went and I was like, this is incredible. And I was just blown away just by the style. It was very innovative and very well thought out. And I come from a family of, of entrepreneurs and I was so curious to know, like, who is this person that started this business concept? Because it's fantastic and so needed and also so well thought out. So anyway, that's where I began my my deep dive into learning about you. And I was like, oh, she's she's the real deal. I know like a little bit of your background and I'm like this, this human being, this magical little queen from I think Boca Raton, Florida. Like how did you get from Boca Raton, Florida, where you considered yourself, I think, an underachiever who didn't really love school to you know, having a hundred million dollar business with over what, 60 something locations. It's insane. I know. I mean, you know, it's funny. It it seems like interviews like that and thinking about time that long ago seems just like a lifetime ago. I really did. I, I used to say it all the time in interviews that I really was kind of this underachiever underdog. And my brother, Michael, who's my business partner was really more of the overachiever. <laughs> And it's just, you know, it, it now looking back, it's like it's been so many years and it's been so successful. And it just it seems like I'm just in such a different place. But yeah, I mean, it was it was just such a labor of love and such a passion, really, first and foremost, for doing hair. I mean, because I had naturally curly hair myself and I just, you know, struggled with it. And I'm sure you, you know, you've you've read about that. But it, it's interesting who I am now versus who I was, you know, pre-dry bar and how much I've changed and grown. And I would say like the biggest like kind of evolution and transition really happened in my life. Probably when I turned from when I turned 30 till now, you know, it's like, I think mm-hmm. we spend 
or at least I did, you know, spent my twenties, like really trying to figure out, you know, what I was doing with my life and, you know, what I loved and is, you know, I mean, there's a, there's 160, I think, dry bar locations across the country now. And oh my gosh. you probably saw that we sold the product line to Helen of Troy a couple of years ago. So it has been quite the ride and quite the journey. If you had to do it all over again, start it at the beginning. There's no dry bar. This is from inception. <laughs> like, Would you have done things a little bit different or do you think you would probably go about it in the same route? And and I'm also curious too. like, I think back to my styling career and I'm like, I don't even know if I have it in me now to do what I did back then. Not only age wise, but I'm like, I don't know if I have that kind of drive. Damn, do I? I sometimes doubt myself now. I'm like, geez. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I mean, it's so hard to say, right? Because for me, I'm, I'm about to be 47. And no, I don't think I have the kind of drive that I had when I was 30, you know, and, and the hunger quite as much. And I, you know, it's like, I, I love, I really love where my life is right now. And, you know, if you had asked me two years ago, I would have said, I, I feel really lost. I'd say the last six months even have been really, really interesting for me trying, you know, getting my footing more than ever. And I mean, I loved, I loved building and growing dry bar. I mean, I, I know it was like I ate, drank and slept it for, for so many years and I really, really loved it. And I still really love it, but you know, in a, in a very different kind of way. And even when we were, you know, talking about starting Squeeze, you know, our massage concept, my brother came to me and said, uh, you know, that he really wanted to do this. And I was like, I love this idea. But like, to your point, I don't think I have it in me to do something from like scratch like that again. You know, it's something that massive. And, you know, we were really lucky to have Brittany Driscoll, who was our former head of marketing at Drybar, who really we partnered with. And she's the CEO and our co-founder. And you know, so we were able to come in at more of an advisory kind of level investor and she, she really ran with it. And, you know, that's not something I would have like even imagined, you know, 10, 15 years ago when I, we were in the throes of dry bar. I mean, I, I, you know, I was so, I was so like control, like heavy back then. Like I wanted to control everything. And, and I was, you know, I was holding it all so tightly. And now I, I have a very different kind of perspective on it. And I, I really like where I sit now in this more advisory role, you know, and and then I'm sure you saw my new gig, <laughs> um, the canopy. That's that's yes. also, you know, it's also really cool to come in to an, you know, a somewhat established brand that, you know, is is like. I mean, I literally was just talking to my father about this today. It's like they, you know, they, they're onto something. It's really exciting to be like now to be part of their growth. And, but they've done the, a lot of the heavy lifting, <laughs> you know? And so it was yeah. really fun to come in at that, at this level, you know? So yeah, it's, it's all really changed. And I think it's all depends on where you are in your life and your journey. And, and, you know, I, I agree with you. I don't, you know, I don't think if we were starting dry bar tomorrow, I can't imagine it being anything like I'm just such a different person, you know, like yeah. you know, life's kind of crazy like that. Right. Well, I, I know, you know, when it comes to businesses, especially like during this pandemic, a lot of people are like, you know what, I don't want to do what I've been doing in a corporate environment. I'm ready to start something new. And for a lot of people, you know, entrepreneurship and, and small business is a route for them. It's crazy to know statistics like the first in the first year of business, 90% of small businesses, unfortunately, fail. You know, yeah, it's that's crazy. 
but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't go into it. And and I look at something that you've done, and I'm like, first of all, uh, did you have a little bit of that fear of like, is is this is this gonna fail? Like, did you ever have that doubt in yourself? Or I know your husband and your brother are both part of your company, but like, did you guys ever have that like, oh shit moment? <laughs> oh my god. Of course, like totally. And and not only that, we opened dry bar in the middle of a recession. So it was like, you know, our first location in, in Brentwood Gardens on San Vicente, which is like pretty hopping down there now. But when we opened, it wasn't like that. There wasn't that Whole Foods there. There wasn't like much going on down there, except that it was like a thoroughfare. And it was like, you know, for me, I was operating my mobile blowout business in that general vicinity between like, you know, Brentwood, Beverly Hills, the Palisades, Santa Monica. So it was really nothing more than like, this is a good spot for me to be able to like have my clients come to me instead of me going to them, but then like be in a place that was like, you know, accessible for them. But the shop center itself, Brentwood Gardens was completely dead. And it was like old and I mean, in terms of like the businesses, like there's a lot of empty spaces and it was just like, kind of like dead. And I remember when we were, Michael and I would go and look, you know, we'd check on the progress every day. And we were like, it was, the shopping center was dead. There was nobody there. And we were like, oh gosh, oh shit. Yeah. And Michael used to say to me, like, I, he like, are people going to come? <laughs> you know, and that was like, <laughs> you I was sure like, about this? I hope so. You know, I mean, you know, listen, like the, the idea I felt was very strong. And I really did believe in like my heart of hearts that like this was a destination. And once the word got out that we were doing $35 blowouts in this really beautiful space, that women were going to flock to it. I mean, that was my hope. And that's, uh, you know, honestly, exactly what happened. You know, but we, we took, and an already very old established model and like turned it on his head, you know, it was like, and, and to, to your point about it, do people like where you think you were crazy? And it was like, Oh shit, is this going to work? I mean, it, it was really hard for most people to wrap their head around, which I get this, like, how in the world do you make this business work? It's, you know, you're charging $35 a blowout. Like you'd have to do a lot of blowouts for that to work. And yeah. in my mind, I was like, well, I mean, I literally, I'm so like, obvious. just as good as I am with technology, I'm as good with math. And I was like, I mean, if we could do like 40 blowouts a day at $35 a day, like that's a pretty decent business. You know, that was like our, my goal. And at that early, early stage, my brother was involved, but he wasn't like, he was still running another company and he wasn't like fully in yet. And it wasn't until, you know, we opened literally the day we opened and even, you know, days before we opened, we started getting bookings, appointments that were getting booked online. This was like, I mean, I feel like it's like a dinosaur. This was like pre-smartphones. Like people had Blackberries then, but not not really uh, iPhone. I only love iPhone that time. yet. Yeah. And we started getting Simpler you know, notifications that people were booking <laughs> appointments online, like from their computers. <laughs> and um, we were like, what? And, you know, to open that first day, we completely booked shop, which we did. And we were totally understaffed and totally underprepared was like, holy shit, you know, we're wow. onto something. And, you know, all the like naysayers and people who were like, <laughs> I once had someone tell me that the every business that had been in the spot that we were opening in Brentwood had failed. And I was like, thanks. Wow. <laughs> Did you do motivational speaking on Mondays? Like, Jesus. I was oh, like, wow. thanks for that. But, you know, they were wrong. I mean, yeah. we didn't fail. <laughs> Thank you. 
Well, the thing is, even when it comes to like hiring staff, wanting like it's it's so tough. It's so difficult. And you could once you let some you know toxic person into your business, I'm sure you've had your share of people that you're like, that was literally the worst person brought on. Uh, but how do you even navigate that one? Like, you know, the interview process, are you vetting people? Are you going with recommendations like to bring people onto your team, especially because back then this was your baby, you know, it's, it's so near and dear close to you. And I mean, you were probably investing not only a lot of your time, but money, effort into something like this. So when you start letting go and bringing people in, I just feel like that that must be really difficult. Yeah, I mean, it really was. And, you know, and it was something that took me so long to get, you know, get comfortable with, get good at, you know, I mean, I would say that once we hit like three or four stores, I mean, I didn't even hire a manager in the first store when we first opened Brentwood because um, I I really thought I could do it all because I don't think I thought it was going to be as busy and crazy as it was, you know? Wow. So I was just going to do it all. And then very quickly, I realized I needed a manager and I hired this amazing girl and she worked for me for years. And then, and then as we grew and grew, then we needed like, you know, every time we opened a store, I needed to get a manager for that store. And then I needed to get you know, like a regional manager. And then I needed, you know, to get a district manager. And then, you know, and then it just like, you know, then we really needed like HR and we needed all sorts oh of shit. God. And I was like, oh my God, you know, and, and it really wasn't until, you know, my, that this is, it's great to have like a partner who's strong in areas that you're not. I mean, my brother was like really beating the drum of like, listen, we're going to need to hire people who know how to do this. And by mm. this, I mean, who know how to like run and scale an organization of the size that we're becoming, you know, we knew it, we had five, 600 employees, you know, between all the stores. And it was like, how do you make sure you get everybody paid on time? And how do you make sure everyone's happy? It was so much work, you know, that we, you know, we are one of our first big hires was the, like basically the president of the company. And, you know, she had come from Pinkberry and she just was super smart and knew how to like roll out, you know, a model like, and so mm, mm-hmm. I remember, you know, when we were talking about hiring her and her, her salary requirement was so crazy to me. I mean, we were not paying ourselves anywhere like near that, but oh, that's what we geez. had to pay, you know, to get, to get somebody of her caliber who really knew how to take this business from, you know, more of a mom and pop kind of run business to like, a, like a, a serious, like, as I used to call it, like a big girl company. Now yeah. that's what she did. And those, and, and, and getting comfortable with like hiring her and then so many others that followed, it was like, you know, giving up little pieces of the business to other people is what it felt like. And that was really hard, but it really was necessary. And it's probably one of the greatest gifts that I've learned. And I try to tell people now is like, <laughs> you you cannot do it alone and you know and trying to hold on to this you know control and do everything yourself is like it's such a losing game because you just you know you kind of start to recognize as you get more into this you, you know that you just can't do everything yourself and that there's chances are you're not good at that many things you know that you're probably have strengths in um, you know a couple of different areas and then it, it makes a lot of sense to help have somebody else help you and and that was a lesson that was really hard for me yeah. and so many entrepreneurs to learn. So it's always something that I try to like scream from rooftops, like, you know, you know, be open-minded to finding people to kind of, you know, fill in the gap, filling your gaps, you know, where things that you're not great at and, and, and have the like humility to 
recognize that you're not, you know, there's no shame in, in not know in not being good at accounting <laughs> you right, know, in my case, right. or you know, there's some people who are just like, you know, have, have like, you know, an, a certain like business acumen and some people who are just really creative and certain people, you know, it's just like, you know, it's all over the board, but being able to recognize that is important. And it really was a tough lesson for me personally to learn that I wish I had <laughs> learned much earlier or accepted, I guess, much earlier. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Of course. Well, when you started, how many employees did you start out the gate with, you know, uh, I guess, uh, hairstylists and then also, I guess back, like we didn't have a manager and stuff. So not really much office staff, but you just started with stylists then. It really was just stylists, you know, from the beginning. And then we hired, like, we hired like someone to help us with marketing. We'd hired PR from the get go, like from the very beginning. But yeah, I mean, it was just like, you know, and after the, the president came in and president of retail technically. And, and then we hired, you know, eventually hired like a COO and a head of HR and a head of accounting. And, you know, it just was like kind of a snowball effect from then of all the things that we needed. Yeah. When did, when did you start actually being like, okay, uh, I'm not turning over a profit in my first year. When did you start to see like, I actually, this is going to be my retirement. <laughs> well, well, it really wasn't anything like, that. you know, I mean, it was like, we we weren't profitable for years and years. We only because we were putting the money back into the business. Right. Very much strategically. You know, it was like we knew that we wanted to grow this thing. And that was, you know, a decision that we all collectively made. It was like we really want to grow this business as, you know, big much, much bigger. And in order to do that, you, you know, you don't become profitable for so long because you just spend so much time building and growing. And so it took years, you know, before I took any like real salary or any of us did really, because we were just in growth mode for so long. Yeah. Wow. And well, I mean, you and your husband are doing business together. I'm sure there's a lot of pros to that, but is it difficult at times to work with your other half? Well, we got divorced like two years ago. Yeah. But not, not because of the business, you know, I mean, it's not like, we didn't get to, I mean, we just, you know, we got married really young and, you know, then we had kids really young and we were like, you know, growing this business and taking care of our children and not really paying attention to our marriage. That's a whole other podcast, but yeah, that's a whole other podcast. Episode. <laughs> me and my brother and Cam, my ex-husband, you know, we all had such different skill sets, you know, like Cam, Cam was totally the creative mastermind and the branding genius. And my brother was really the business side of things. And I was, you know, I really knew hair and, and had a, you know, and the customer experience. So we were, we were really lucky in that we were also good at different things, which is kind of like back to the point I was making is like, recognize the things that you're good at and the things that you're not. Right. Yeah, of course. I know early days before dry bar happened, you were heavily influenced by the work of John Sahag, who is a Titan in the industry. For those of you who don't know who John Sahag is, he basically created the dry cut. He was the first person to do it like mainstream. You know, there are the Vidal Sassoon's of the world, the Paul Mitchell's um, and John Sahag. It was a big deal. And I just remember, you know, one of my friends being like, oh, my God, it, my dream is to get a cut from John Sahag. <laughs> so he was you know, based again, East Coast. But he was definitely incredible masterful at his work and from what i learned Allie's, you actually got to work with him uh, you were friends with him maybe at some point um but it was really interesting that from florida you ended up in his salon which i was like oh that's pretty cool like you actually got to work in his salon 
Yeah, I mean, uh, the guy that trained me in doing hair when I lived in Boca, he was a really big fan of John Zahog and Tony and Guy and kind of the whole dry cutting, you know, when that when dry cutting became a, a big deal. And so, I, you know, because I was such a fan of the guy who, who taught me how to do hair, his name is John Peters, mm-hmm. um, and he was such a big fan of John Zahog, when I wanted to move to New York City to do hair, it was like, going and working for John's hog was really like the only thing I wanted to do. So, you know, I went and got a job there and I was actually one of, he had a couple of assistants, but I, you know, I had been working on the floor when I was in Boca, but I, you know, went back to being an assistant when, when I started working there. And I, so I assisted him quite a bit. I used to like walk with greyhounds down Madison Avenue, which, you know, <laughs> wow. was a very humbling experience in and of itself. Picking up greyhound shit in the street. Yes, can you imagine? <laughs> but, you know, it was like, I, it didn't, I mean, it didn't really bother me. I was so like, I was just so damn happy to be there because I was such a huge fan of his. And, and, and the salon was so awesome. And it's so funny because I did have a friendship with John and he, it, it was, it's such a bummer. It was, I mean, it was so sad that he died. And even like such a bummer that I didn't get to share what I built with him because, you know, what happened was I, you know, I moved to New York. I'd been doing hair for a little while when I was living in Florida and Boca. And, and then I moved to New York and I started working for John. And then like, you know, a true 20 something, I got a little bit like nudgy and wanted to do something else. So I started work, I decided to leave John Zahog and go work in PR. It was such a random. Oh, wow. I actually really loved it. Um, I worked for Rogers and Cowan, which is one of the biggest. Yeah. Firms, They're a huge firms. powerhouse. And, and, yeah. And so, I, but I remember having a conversation with John when I told him I was leaving and he was like, you should, you should stay, you should stay in this industry. You're really good at hair. And I was like, well, I don't know. And you know, I had my mind was already <laughs> made up. And once my mind's made up on something, it's pretty hard to change it. So I did end up leaving and, you know, I, ne- I never really stayed in touch with him. And then, you know, he, he died years later, but it would have been fun for him to have seen what we did with dry bar, which is completely the antithesis of John's hog. Cause I don't know if you ever spent any time in his salon. No, I didn't ever get to go to a salon. No. Well, it's very, very, very Zen and very quiet. And there's like waterfalls and everyone just kind of keeps their voice down naturally. And it's really just like, I don't know if it's like that now, but that's how it was when I worked there. And that was kind of part of his philosophy. He liked things like I, I remember being in the back washing dishes and he would come and like put his hand on my hand and be like, you don't need the water so high, you know, like he just was very, and I was like, what? You know, I mean, I'm so loud and crazy. And, that, and it's just so funny because dry bar is so the opposite of that whole experience. So I think he would have gotten a kick out of it, but. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, yeah, you go and you're getting to watch, you know, 51st dates with subtitles and there's music and people and noise and, oh, it's, it's fun though. It's a very community feel when you go to a dry bar. I think that's one of the appeals of it. Cause that doesn't really happen these days. Um, it doesn't really exist. Well, I was going to ask too, navigating your business in the pandemic, how did that work out for you? Like, was that, I mean, it posed a big challenge for a lot of people, but did you kind of have to rework the business model a little bit? Like, did you end up having to uh, shut down some locations for a bit and then reopen with the pandemic? Well, yeah. I mean, just like everybody, we had to shut, completely shut down all the, all the locations, you know, because right. every, everywhere was shut down. And that was really weird. I mean, it was just so strange to have to completely close the shops that are you know, historically open seven days a week. So it was very bizarre. And, 
it was, you know, like, like so many other businesses really tough and we're still feeling the effects majorly from it because we're still trying to get back up to capacity and, you know, and get stylists back out and working, which has been a haul. And so it's, it's, you know, it was very, very rough and there was, you know, only so much we could do. We tried to do, I did a lot of like at home videos, like to show at home blowouts, but I think people were just in this like funk and, you know, it was a really tough, tough time. And, you know, luckily there seems to be a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel now, but yeah, yeah it was kind of just hunger, hunger down and hold on. Right. Oh, I was going to ask too, like, did you guys just start opening up, but not at full capacity so you can like leave a couple chairs empty, like that sort of thing? Exactly. We basically like took out every chair in between every other chair, you know, so there was like chair space, chair space and, you know, masks not allowing people to wait in the, in the lobby, like our little lobby, which, you know, to your point before, like part of the magic of dry bar was like the hustle and bustle and you run into all your friends there. And it's like, you know, it has like kind of like a, like a bar vibe, you know, and with the pandemic, we definitely lost a lot of that magic. So, you know, I'm hopeful and that we'll get back to it one day though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and now is, is the dry bar, is it franchised out? Some of them are. So basically like, I would say of the 160, about half, maybe a little less than half are franchised. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of, you know, a decision we made, we kind of went back and forth on over the years is having, you know, more and more franchise and some being company owned and kind of figuring out the best path. And, you know, I can make the argument for both. We decided to franchise squeeze completely because it is, there is something about, you know, an owner operator in the store, operating the store, really having skin in the game that can make a big difference in a business. So yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It, it can be a tough call. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I didn't even realize this until again, learning more about you, but I was like, dang, when you started dry bar, like, I know it was like maybe a year into it that you, you had kid, like a full family going like babies, not like teenagers, like, like, like preschool. My kids were three and five when we started the business. Yeah. Jeez. So they kind of grew up in the world of dry bar. They're yeah. 16 and 17 now. That's you know, crazy. Wild. Okay. So that whole idea of like having a business, being the entrepreneur and like, you know, balancing the, the mom life were those kids, like, I guess you just had them with you kind of part of, part of the business. Like I'm just thinking of the balance act. Uh, it's, it's difficult. I can imagine. And there's a lot of listeners out there who want to throw themselves into a new business venture. And I know that factors into it has to, it's like, Oh, I have kids though. It's going to be difficult, you know, um, I'm stay at home mom. And so it's almost like, do you sacrifice a little of that? Like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm curious to pick your brain on something like that. Cause I could imagine you were going through it. Like, how do you navigate it? Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I was a stay at home mom before dry bar and obviously I worked quite a bit before dry bar or before I had my kids, but I thought I would end up being a stay at home mom. And and that would be, you know, what I did. And, and I, I did really love it. And I wanted kids so badly. And after about five years of being home with my, you know, then like, you know, my kids were, like I said, when I started dry bar three and five, you know, I just started to get the itch to like get back out there and do something for myself. And I just didn't feel, you know, as much as I love my children, I love them then. I just, I didn't feel, <laughs> feel completely 
personally fulfilled. And, you know, I just felt like I needed to go and do something for myself again. Like I just was kind of losing my mind, you know, mentally it was like, I got, there's, mm-hmm. you know, I got to do something else. And, and, you know, and so I, you know, I, I kind of played around with, you know, what do I want to do? And and I just knew hair so well from doing it for, for so many years that I, you know, just decided to start this mobile thing. And it was, it was really, I was able so to do it at my own pace because, you know, I could only take a couple of clients a day if I wanted to. And, and again, so much of that, like my, that little business model of doing at-home blowouts, which, you know, I, I basically would like, you know, hire a babysitter that was paying 20 bucks an hour and then go do two or three blowouts that I was getting paid $40 an hour or $40 a blowout for, but between gas and, you know, I didn't really make very much money, which wasn't the point. The point was to get out of the house, get away from the kids, do something, you know, for myself and talk to adults again and all of that. <laughs> talk to adults. Because <laughs> yeah. I just felt like I was like at the park 24 seven and I love my kids, but I just needed more like mental stimulation, you know? And yeah, absolutely. I, you know, and I, and I realized that, you know, to get someone to come to your house and do a blowout in most places is at least like $150. And 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 even and then that's and in LA could be quite a bit more. So I was like, well, f- that I'm just going to charge not that much money and just to just so I can have this little business. And it's just like I was like, it just doesn't take me that long to do a blowout. You know, forty bucks felt really good. And so that's how that that was exactly how I started. And of course, that you know insight would prove to be I didn't know it at the time, but that insight would prove to be really incredibly valuable because I you know basically was just running around town doing all these blowouts for women for $40. And I got so busy so fast, you know, and that's when the light bulb went off for me. Like, you know, at the right price, women will get, get, you know, so many women, so many more women will take, will partake in this behavior of, you know, of getting a blowout because it feels so good. It looks so good. And it's like, you know, why are, why not do this at an affordable price and turn it into a affordable luxury, which is, you know, Absolutely. Well, we did, but but to answer your question, I also had my mom um, was my my parents got divorced when they were like in their fifties, and when they got divorced, my mom we moved my mom out to LA with us, and we kind of moved her wherever, like close by to wherever we moved, and so she really helped me with my boys a lot. Oh, and I think that was part of how I was able to you know balance it all because you know once we opened the first dry bar, and then it just was like in such an such explosive growth that. I felt like I, you know, I needed so much help and and having my mom around really made it like, you know, so much easier for me to feel better leaving my kids with her. I mean, and I had, we had mammies and stuff too, but you know, yeah. it was a lot like all, all hands on deck to make that, make that work. Vacation starts with VA. One thing you'll love about your trip to Virginia is that you'll never have to settle for one thing. All that you love is all in one trip. Start yours at virginia.org. 
remind me, uh, just personality wise, my best friend happens to be my mama. I'm very close with her and she's an entrepreneur as well. I'm an only child. Uh, I'm obsessed with my mom and she's not only mentored me, but I remember vividly and I'm sure your kids will have very similar memories of seeing my mom working her ass off, but like loving it every step of the way. But I'd say for me personally, I was, I think more like my mom was at the forefront, you know, with child rearing. My dad as well kind of followed my mom's lead, to be honest. Um, but uh, it was definitely more community raising. I had like there was some one of my mom's business partners who was she was the sweetest, but she would watch me sometimes. My nana, my grandma, she would watch yeah, me. Yeah, it's like everybody. Yeah, they all played a part. They all played a part. And I was like, ooh, I ended up becoming, you know, pretty well rounded and knowing all these different personalities and different types of love I experienced. And but they're all parental figures. Uh, but I think sometimes, especially someone like you who's very hands-on, you know, and I'm sure you're the same way with your kids. And and it's sometimes it's tough to kind of, you know, you have to, it's all about letting go. My mom shared that with me. She's like, parenting, that's the toughest thing is having to just learn to let go from the b- moment of, of birth, you know, uh, all the way up until adult life. You're constantly having to let go of little things and being like, oh, damn, okay, you want to pick out your own clothes now. It starts with little things like that. Or And, and, then- and it's so true. I mean, I, I love that what your mom said. I mean, there's, there's a really great poem that I recently shared with someone. And, you know, I have a 17 year old son who like is really into motorcycles and like, that is not what I would have picked for him. Right. But like <laughs> he is on his own journey and this is what, he, you know, and it's like, it, it is so true what you said, what your mom said, it's like, you know, our kids come through us and they are their own people. And it's like, you know, giving, just giving them as much love and as you can is like really best thing we can do. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, and I think too, I mean, I wonder if your kids, they, they've seen you working stuff. They're still pretty young, though, but uh, the whole entrepreneurship side, like they'll end up wanting to start their own businesses, too, and get into, you know, not working corporate, maybe doing their own thing, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, my my older son, my 17-year-old, he's very, very entrepreneurial. He's got this, like, he's got this whole little business going right now. I mean, he's he's pretty funny like that. So they've definitely been paying attention and you know, who knows what they'll do. I think it's in their blood. I think it was in mine. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, I was going to say too, like even starting out, trying to get the capital, raising the money for someone who is, you know, a creative who, I mean, you're in the arts, that's hair industry, beauty industry the arts, total creative brain space. Uh, So even thinking about like how to, how to raise capital, investors, that whole thing. Like, did you sit down before you even went into your first company and and do like a formal business plan and create a tsunami plan? Like, was that your frame of mind? No, or? Oh, no nothing like that. Oh. No, nothing like that. I mean, we, <laughs> we were like, you know, I mean, uh, my brother, like I mentioned, was definitely like the business side of things. And yeah, I, I, but even, you know, we just, I mean, he started putting spreadsheets together of things that we needed to do, but there wasn't this big grand plan in the beginning to like, you know, blow this thing out, no pun intended, to what it became. I mean, I was really just hoping it would be me and my one little shop and I could pick up my kids from school and this would be my livelihood and that's it. You know, I really didn't, we didn't, I mean, we, we had an inkling of an idea that this could catch on, but, you know, there was not a big like you know, executed business plan of like, we're going to have this amount of growth in this time. It, it just really wasn't like that. You know, it wasn't until we opened and we had a few months out and we were like, yeah, this is really something. And then we started talking, you know, plans and what are we going to do 
next, but it yeah. was not like that from the get go. Damn. I love that. I mean, just cause I, I rarely hear that. It's usually people going into it with like, they try and have a bulletproof business plan of some sort. So <laughs> good on you. Yeah. You know, I think like, I think a business plan is a great idea and having like a deck about your business and being able to show like projected revenue and all that stuff. I, you know, I wasn't like really for investment. My brother, I was fortunate enough that my brother who had worked for Yahoo and Yahoo's heyday had made a little bit of money and was willing to invest in me. And then we did run out of money at the 11th hour and we raised from, you know, friends and family and we just kind of figured it out. Yeah. As we went. Yeah. Wow. There's nothing wrong with that, you know? No, nothing. Well, clearly there's nothing wrong with going it that route too. Well, I was going to say too, when it comes to, you know, having your own business, I know marketing, the whole like marketing landscape has changed so much. I'm sure just with social media is a big component to how your business can do. And I know you said you had hired one of the first uh, type of outside sourcing you had done for your company was through a PR agency and you had experience in PR. Uh, I know they can cost a fortune, just personal PR for someone. Oh my gosh, up to four to 5,000 on the low end a month. Um, people with publicists, it's really pricey. Uh, and so and publicists are a different breed of people. <laughs> uh, your personality, like, well, did you work, were you a publicist or was it, were you working for a talent division? Well, we, I worked at Rogers and Cowan for in the music department, and I was working for this guy named Paul Freundlich, who was like running the music department, and a woman named oh. Beth Katz, who was also kind of running the music department. And I really wanted to work in fashion, but I ended up working in music. But I loved it. I mean, the clients were like Paul McCartney and Faith oh, Hill and Janet Jackson, huge. And I, I really, I, you know, I wasn't like a traditional publicist, but I learned that business, which I think served me well. And I also learned like professionalism and how to compose like emails and shit that i never did before because I was always like in, you know, creative <laughs> and never like sitting at a desk. That, so, and I learned how to like write. And I really, I really am grateful for that experience because of all of that, because I learned a different side of myself and something that would, you know, obviously prove to serve me later on. Oh yeah, for sure. No, there, I always say publicist is a different brand of people. My God, like I've worked with them so closely in the styling world, you know, because they rep my clients for the most part. I usually deal with managers, but publicists are again, very involved in the process of styling. And it's interesting about you though, is you are a hairstylist, but your favorite part is literally the root root of styling. You're not, are you, do you also like to cut hair, dye, like there's colorists? Like, no, I, I mean, I used to cut hair when I worked in a, you know, full service lawn, but I, I liked it, but I loved getting through the haircut so I could see the, the blowouts, I could see the style. Like, and that mm. was also like, you know, when women would come alive and they'd be so excited, you know? So I think that was always the part that I liked. And, you know, it was also the part that like, I, you know, I liked in my own hair. Like I really enjoy blowing out my own hair. I find it very relaxing, therapeutic. And I think that's how I approach the business. Yeah. Well, I know, well, it takes time to do it. And also I have a couple friends of mine who are like, I'm getting carpal tunnel. Thank God for dry bar because they're like, I can't do it and every day. I have to do as many blowouts. I know. And that's yeah. part of why like, you know, turnover can be high and unexpected. We're pretty like, you know, forgiving with, with like schedules and whatever. And like, people don't work, like, don't have to work great shifts, you know, because we obviously understand that it's, it's physically hard on the body. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I think so even more so if you're doing it yourself, <laughs> you know, For sure. yeah, it's, it's a lot, you know, if you got those layers, oh my gosh, it's, 
got to devote at least an hour to it. Jesus. Well, I was going to ask too, when it came to dry bar, and now you've gone into several different beauty, I guess, avenues within the same umbrella though. Uh, but have you tried anything out where you're like, this didn't work? This, this is not, this was a bit of a roadblock moment or we tried it. It was great, but like, no, I'm just, I'm so interested in knowing if you've hit any of those roadblocks. Cause we always hear about the successes, but I'm like, I'm down to hear some failures over here with Ali Webb. <laughs> you mean within dry bar? Well, within dry bar, even, I mean, as you went into the next phase of like working with different companies, like. Have you noticed like, oh, that didn't work out or in reasoning behind it? Well, I mean, it's definitely been an interesting, uh, you know, as I ventured out into different things. I mean, Squeeze has been really successful. Obviously, like the pandemic, you know, put a bit of a halt in our, in our, in our you know, rollout journey. And yeah. now they're, but now they're really ramping back up again. And that's a completely franchise business. And we're, and we're totally, and we're selling so many of them now. So that's exciting. And, you know, I would say that, with Beckett and Quill, which is my jewelry company that I really love, you know, it's, it's, it's doing well, but it's a different kind of success because it's very, very small. And, you know, we haven't made the decision to make it bigger by, you know, getting outside investment like we did with Drybar and getting, you know, you have to put a lot of money in, into most businesses to make a lot of money. Not, not always, not a hard and fast rule, but in most cases, because you need to like spend money to make money, which of course you've heard that before. And, and with, you know, Beckett and Quill, it's a little bit of a different, less established business than say what Canopy is now that I've joined, which is much more established, even though they're only a year old, their trajectory is very different. So, you know, I don't, I mean, I'm knock on wood. I don't think anything I've done it since Drybar or, you know, I mean, we certainly made lots of mistakes in Drybar, don't get me wrong, but um, and think we've made wrong turns and whatever. And, you know, I'm still kind of figuring out what the trajectory of Beckett and Quill is. And it's not, you know, it's not like a runaway hit like dry bar is, but it's a different kind of animal that I'm trying to figure out that I really enjoy. I don't know. I think it, it might take a little bit of more nurturing, um, mm-hmm. you know, to get it to, you know, to be bigger, but it's like, do I even really want it to be that big? We're still kind of figuring out too. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, nothing is, there's nothing that comes to mind that's like, oh man, that was really big up. I wish we hadn't done that. You know, <laughs> yeah. nothing quite that severe. Great. No, that's good. Yeah. And well, not to say that I don't make mistakes. I make them all the time. You know, I've made, yeah. I've made like I've, I've made wrong decisions a ton and I learn from them, but I don't, and also it might just be like my mentality at this point in my life of like, well, that didn't work. Let's try something else. Whereas like I used to really feel like, oh shit, the sky is falling because, you know, th- you know, this or that didn't work. And, and I think like the whole thing's over where I, you know, I take things more in stride now than I used to. Yeah. Oh, I mean, amazing that you can get to that point with experience and stuff. And I'm, I'm in that, oh my God, the world is ending phase right now in my life. Of like, you know, I get, it just so doesn't much. serve you. It feels like no. it does in the moment, but it really doesn't. Cause there's, no. and it's also like, I'm sure you've heard, like, I love it when I'm reminded of like how little worrying helps you. Like it does. It's just the opposite of that. You know, worrying about something doesn't make it any better. You know, yeah. so I like to remind myself of that. And well, and speaking of worrying and, you know, overthinking, overanalyzing that kind of mindset, again, does nothing good for you, especially as a small business owner. But, but I also, I have noticed with you that 
you've never been motivated by money and like financial success. And I think that's incredible because you've, you've gotten to that place, but it had, that's not been your mindset. And I'm like, is that just ingrained in you for like from the get-go? Because it's so easy to get tied up in the finances and the pressures of that into that becomes the main focus, especially when you have, I mean, hundreds, well, I think at this point, thousands of people relying on, you know, their salaries and stuff under, under your business. Um, but, but it's never been a motivating force for you. I'm like, why, why is that? Cause it is for a lot of people. <laughs> Welcome to America. Capitalism at its finest, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, of course, like I wanted to make money with, you know, with dry bar, but it definitely wasn't, it really wasn't like my overarching thought. Yeah. You know, I want, I wanted to, I really loved what we were doing and I was, I was much more excited about, you know, growing something and, and building something really amazing. And so, you know, money was like very, very secondary to me, you know, in, in that building. And then a nice bonus of the whole thing working, you know? And, yeah. and I think that that's, you know, you know, I think I'm like fairly motivated by money, but I'm not overly motivated by money. And, and I think that that's, it has served me well because it's just, I think it's hard to, if that's the only thing that you're thinking about, it's a pretty tough road to navigate versus like your happiness. You know, I mean, it's like, I'm sure you've heard I don't know if you like or listen to Gary Vee, but you know, it's like, he talks about it a lot. Like you could be somebody who makes, you know, almost nothing a year, but you could be so happy and you could be somebody who makes millions of dollars a year and you're so unhappy. It's like, it can go any way. And for me, I've always like, you know, my North star has always been like to be happy, you know, and fulfilled. So yeah, that's kind of what I, what I go by versus, you know, just, you know, the financial impact. Uh, beautifully said, Ali, keeping happiness as your North Star. I love that. And I know I don't have a lot of time left with you, but I want to squeeze in a round of rapid fire questions with you, which is a tradition here at the Low Life Podcast. So let's jump into a round of rapid fire questions with Ali Webb. Hit it. Cottage on the beach or cabin in the woods? Uh, I think cottage. In, I mean, in the woods. I think I would go, but I'd really like one on the beach too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Both. Got it. Who is a celebrity crush for you? I want a female celebrity crush and a male celebrity Gwyneth crush. Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, yes. <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow, hands down. I love her. <laughs> yeah. And then male? Gosh, yeah. I don't know. Brad Pitt? Love. Classic. Weird, because they were engaged, huh? Yeah, they were. <laughs> If if your belly button had a magical power, any power when you press it, Allie, what would you make your belly button do? Make me fly. Oh, nice. <laughs> right. W- what is your go-to self-indulgent meal? Uh, your last meal, like a death row type meal, what are they going to be serving you? Anything you want. I mean, definitely French fries. My mm. favorite self-indulgent. Mm. Are we going? And maybe are we like going fried shoot- Oreos. Oh shit! <laughs> I love it. Damn, have you ever had fried Oreos at like a carnival? Oh my oh, god! Oh, absolutely! Yeah, at the Los Angeles County Fair. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, and like I really um, can't eat anything fried because it up me up so bad. But if I was like, yeah. you know, if it was my last meal, then whatever. Yeah, fry it up. <laughs> uh, when are you most inspired? 
I think I'm most inspired when I'm motivated, when I'm excited about something, you know, I'm just, I just happen to be in that space right now where I feel really, really inspired, you know, with this new role that I just took on and I'm so excited to grow, to grow it. So I guess I'm most inspired, inspired when I'm like in growth and building mode. Mm, Absolutely. Uh, what is a movie that is a mood changer for you? One you've watched more than once. You can even quote it. Well, I'm not going to ask you to quote it, but like, if you had to. <laughs> Probably Double Wears Prada. Oh, so good. Love that one. Yeah. I know. And, I've watched it so many times. Or um, what's that movie with, um, I've watched, I hate watching movies over again. And the only reason I've seen Double Wears Prada so many times is I've seen it in dry bars so many times. But there's that movie with Steve Carell and Julianne Moore and Ryan Gosling and oh. Emma Stone, you know what I'm talking about? Where like they, she starts dating him and oh my God, oh, what the fuck is that called? Uh, crazy Stupid Love. Yes, Crazy Stupid Love is so good. Yeah, that's an incredible and movie. Oh, I forgot about Crazy Stupid. We haven't had that answer on this podcast yet, but damn, that's a good one. Uh, what is your your top love language? Are you familiar with the five love languages? It's acts of service, physical touch, words of affirmations, gifts, quality words time. Of, words of affirmation. Boom. Love it. Uh, what is the last TV show that you binge watched and thoroughly enjoyed? Oh, Yellowstone. Uh, when you die and come back to this world, let's say you believe in reincarnation. If you're reincarnated as an animal, which animal would you choose to come back to this world as? Oh man. I mean, I have three animals. I have two dogs and a cat and I have a cat that is like a smushy faced cat. who's like the cutest thing that ever lived. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. One of Only... my animals. I don't know which one I, I have to pick one, huh? I would take one. Oh, is that way? Is that the smushy? Okay, cookie yes. the cat. Perfect. Smushy face cat. cat. <laughs> Perfect. And the last but not least is I always like to leave my listeners, we call them the low lifers, uh, with a little words of wisdom to live by. So if there's something that you've said to yourself, a quote that you live by, or just something just off the top of your head that you like to say to yourself often um, to go into the weekend with a little uh, wisdom from Allie Webb. You know, one of my overarching kind of philosophies is like this too shall pass and Mm. everything does or you know another thing is like trust trust your path trust your journey and you know go like go towards the light the thing that makes you happy that brings your joy just keep walking that way and i think you can't go wrong oh Allie, that's like the perfect place to leave this conversation thank you for that (laughs) beautifully said i love it thank you so much for giving of your time and i went over time with you yeah hopefully i get to meet you uh post pandemic at some point in person i would love that we're both in la so i will keep in touch with you but again thank you again and uh have yeah have a beautiful day you too thank you for listening to this week's episode of the low life podcast i hope you enjoyed it All right, we have some amazing shows coming in hot for you. My lowlifers, I will not disappoint you. I won't let you down. I have some great guests I'm so excited for. Um, Josh Peck is going to be on the podcast March 16th, actor, comedian, writer. He's hilarious, a total sweetheart. Love him. So he'll be on the show again March 16th. I have my Canadian Maple Delight, the queen herself, Miss Caitlin Bristow. Of course, she's going to be back on the podcast as well. And then I have to have a J-Lo reunion. Gotta bring Jason back, my one and only Mr. Jason Tardick. He'll be here to promote his book. Cannot wait to have him on the podcast as well. I'm having so much fun doing this podcast. I freaking love it. And this little community that we've built, 
literally from nothing to 70 episodes later, you know, thousands of listeners. And I'm just so freaking grateful to have each and every single one of you because I wouldn't be able to do this podcast literally would be nothing without you, the listener. I owe everything to you when it comes to this podcast, really, though. Without the lowlifers, we're nothing. So thank you for your support, for sharing this podcast with your friends, your loved ones, your coworkers, your family members. It really makes a difference. And I've learned now 70 episodes deep, which I can't believe I've made it to 70 episodes. What? <laughs> Jeez, like I was like hoping I'd get to 10 episodes. So, you know, everything else is just gravy. I'm just so freaking thankful to have this podcast and and I've learned that the, the best way to help, especially an, an up and coming little shit show like the Low Life Podcast, is to leave a five star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And then actually leaving a review really helps. It really impacts the show, the algorithm, the analytics. It helps with sponsors. It helps with recommending the show you know, to other new listeners. So you taking the time to do that really makes a big difference in the show. So thank you. I have listeners who have written several reviews. You know, they do weekly reviews. So thank you for that. And it could be anything you want it to be. You can leave a little dick emoji, throw a couple stars, hearts, rainbows, unicorns my way, write about your mental health. Tell me about your day. Or actually, you could write a review, but it's all so appreciated. And I want to say thank you and show my gratitude with my number one love language, which is gifts. Yeah, I love gifts. And I want to give back to my listeners. Um, so I'm opening up the Low Life Gifting Suite, which is, you know, gifts from our sponsors, beauty products I'm obsessed with, shit you didn't know you need from Amazon, a bunch of little goodies that I've accumulated and purchased and got from our sponsors. And I'm picking people at random in the review section of Apple Podcasts and sending out gifts to you. So if you want a chance to win a little something, something, just make sure you please leave your Instagram handle and also slide into my DMs, but leave your handle in the reviews, then I could find you. And you might just be getting a little something in the mail from the Low Life Podcast. I want to shout out some listeners who took the time to leave beautiful reviews. All right. So the first one up comes from at Kate Antonick at Kate Antonick. Oh, I love the name. Kate Antonick writes, lessons learned from low five stars. I love this podcast. Low is so down to earth. I got a trivia question about Selena Quintanilla right at the trivia night because of the lessons learned from Low. This podcast is always a positive part of my week. Thanks, Low. Oh, I love that. Look at you going into trivia night, having your little Selena Quintanilla knowledge in your back pocket. Love that. That's actually one of my favorite episodes. Obsessed with Selena. Number one. Love her. So I'm glad you, you got something from that episode. And, and hopefully you won at trivia night, Kate. All right, next review comes from at Mandy Mate, writes, M-A-N-D-Y-M-A-I-T. Mandy Mate writes, Orca Whales, Scented Candles, and Trader Joe's, five stars, from one cancer crab to another. Oh, my fellow cancer queen, from one cancer crab to another. Phenomenal job on this podcast, Lo. You have a gift for connecting with your listeners. I work for home and look forward to listening each week. I love feeling like I have a friend across the country who loves the same things I do, hence the title. Keep up the great work. P.S. I watch live streams of aquariums, orca cams that I feel you would also love. Oh, I'm already there with you, Queen. I watch them too. I find them all on YouTube and have it on in the background during the day. It's so tranquil. Obsessed. Yes, same. I just actually got into watching videos like Orca Cam videos. They have live cam ones too. 
Oh, it is so peaceful. I'll actually stream it on like my big screen TV, put on a scented candle, dim the lights, and it's just the best. I like folding laundry with orcas in the background. (laughs) Thank you for writing that review. Mandy, you are my sister from another mister. That's for damn sure. All right, we have time for one more review. This one's coming in hot from Jenna Bonafield. Jenna Bonafield writes, another great name. Uh, Love you, low Five stars. This podcast is a must listen. I'm sitting at my corporate job, cracking up every Thursday. Lo is such a pro. Shamu moment is the best. (laughs) God, my moment of freaking shame, Jenna. Uh, And she writes, my boyfriend loves when I put this podcast on during road trips because we just laugh so much. It's a mood lifter. We love you, Lo, with a unicorn, a little heart, a little dick emoji, and a rainbow. (laughs) Thank you so much for that, Jenna. I hope I can make your day go by much faster. <laughs> that Shamu moment, that confession that I did, which if you don't know what we're talking about, oh God, one of my rock bottom moments of many, but this is top of the heap for me. It's episode 39, which is life lessons and full frontal confessions. And that's that's the Shamu moment she's referring to. <laughs> but I'm glad that it's definitely brought you some joy, Queen. And on that note, I hope you have a beautiful weekend ahead. Pour yourself a nice big glass of wine. Throw some frozen grapes in there. It's delicious. Apply your serums. Watch a good crime documentary. But don't forget to drink your water, Buddha. Because I know you're thirsty. <laughs> we, we love, love you. you. And we're out. <laughs> Bye. Bye, guys. Over there with you. <laughs>